Hello and welcome, I'm Alexander. This is Nitip in Tech, covering the latest from the IT industry, with a specific focus on Microsoft and how to get actual value from technology. This is episode 144, recorded on March the 2nd, 2021. You will be able to find this and our previous episodes on kneedeepintech.com, iTunes, Spotify, and on most podcasting platforms. This marks the first of hopefully many uh, interview episodes that we are starting to roll out. The idea is to intersperse the normal episodes, if you will, uh, the, the bi-weekly episodes with equally bi-weekly interviews. And we're going to start the interview series with this first interview with Heni Ilmarinen. And we are joined now by Heni Ilmarinen. Heni, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so we've known each other for quite some time, but that doesn't mean that anybody else have a clue who you are. So who are you and what do you do? So I'm Heini Ilmarinen uh, from Finland. I live in Helsinki, Finland, and I work as a DevOps consultant as Pol at Polar Squad. And I mainly work with Azure, and I've been working both with the infrastructure side and the data platform side of things. And now I've kind of had more emphasis on this DevOps side since I switched jobs very recently. And switched job, you said. So you've not have you haven't had a very straight uh, career, if you will, because you you didn't start out in this field. In fact, you just came off Scottish Summit where you did a a session basically on the whole switching careers thing. Could you talk a bit about that? Yes. So I came into IT from mathematics. So I I was studying mathematics in university and I was trying to figure out what am I going to do in life since the whole, well, teaching math is completely fun and okay, but I wanted something a bit more challenging. And so I I kind of, through twists and turns, I, I ended up doing my thesis in elliptic curve cryptography. And then that got me started on thinking about security, which got me towards IT and so forth. So really uh, in my session at Scottish Summit, I was telling my entire story of how I got from math to IT and what I have learned on the way. So from math to IT, and you mentioned that you were teaching math as well. You were studying to become a math teacher or a, a mathematician? A math teacher. So that was kind of my uh, graduation path. And I was really lined up for that stuff. I was doing teaching on the side and I was almost at the end of my studies and <laughs> until I started to frantically look around to what, what am I really doing? So is there anything specific you can point to that made you think question your your choice or was it just a nagging feeling that something wasn't quite right uh well it had been kind of all along as i had been studying i'd had this feeling that this is not actually what i want to do <laughs> don't ask me why i kept on that path for so long but i think the issue was that i didn't know what my options were and i didn't I, by thinking about it i couldn't think of an option that i would want to try and 
And then it just suddenly started to fall into place. And I guess kind of if I could go back, I would just tell to myself, like, just try something else and don't just think about it in your head. But it ended up going quite well, I have to say. But yes, it was a little, uh, I don't know what I'm going to do. And then just thinking about it and not actually taking any action on it. But if I had tried something else, IT wouldn't have still been my option at that point. <laughs> so you just basically everybody else that I've, I've talked to kind of fell into IT somewhat unexpectedly. Yes. And um, I, I'm, we're going to come back to this, but just for the record, just on a scale from one to 10, how interested are you in tech, really? <laughs> um... Uh, maybe three. So the, the specific technology in itself is not the driving force behind your, your work, is it? No, not really. No. I I'm more care about what the technology can bring to the solution and what it, what it can in enable. So in that sense, I am interested about what the technology can do and enable, but I'm not very interested in having a specific kind of laptop or, you know, <laughs> all that nitty gritty stuff. Which is um, if, if quite a normal view on things, even though I, I find that most people who work uh, as deep in tech as you do are generally more interested in, in the nitty gritty details and kind of gravitate towards that. And I also find that in order to think about IT like that, basically as an enabler, you need to have quite a few years in the business or you need to come from uh, some other direction. Uh, but so how long have you been in the IT industry these days? I have been, I started uh, my first job in the fall of 2016. So that is less than five years. Yes. So not that long. So I don't have that tens of years of experience that most people think about when you talk about, well, can you do architecture? It's mostly thought that no, you can't until you have like decades of experience. And I was just getting to that because these days you're doing DevOps, but you're doing DevOps from an architecture standpoint. And I can't help it. <laughs> no, you're 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 both a serial doodler, but a serial architect as well. What what is it that drives you, and and what was it that made you take the step from security? I mean, I I, I can follow along from math to elliptic curve cryptography, even though I, I don't understand what it is basically. But you explained it very well in your session. And then I was going just going to ask, weren't you listening? <laughs> I was. And then going from there to security, and then something completely different happened. Well, so as as I was doing my thesis, I, I was thinking like, well, cryptography that is used within technology on the security part, and maybe I could get into doing security and try to find like a junior uh, position or a trainee position or something like that. 
But what ended up happening that once I went to an interview, I thought I was going to a, a junior position interview for security. But then during the few first minutes, uh, it got revealed that they had fulfilled that position already. But they had two positions open, which of the other one was this junior position uh, for architecture things and to kind of work along one of the senior consultants in the company. And so pretty much, well, they of course told me some things in the interview, what it's about, but I have to say, looking at it after the fact, I had no idea what I was getting into, but it sounded fun. It sounded like like problem solving that I would get to do. And that was the part really that got me excited about architecture and IT in the first place. And, you know, I, I've, I've ransacked my brain and I've never heard uh, the words junior and architect in the same sentence ever. Yeah. I don't think the architect was exactly in the same sentence, but it was kind of in the, it was just junior consultant. And then in the description, it was like helping with workshops and architecture development and things like that. Yeah. But the, the more I think of it, why shouldn't we have junior architects? It, it all come kind of comes down to, and I'm curious to, to hear your view on things. A, a manager, be it a project manager or just a people manager, would you see that as a specific uh, skill rather than something that you can do since you've already been a tech or whatever? Do you, do you understand the question? I think I do. Um, I, I see it as a skill that can be developed. And I, I do also think that some people more inherently have that skill, but I don't mean that I still think that anyone can learn that skill, but some will be more prone to being, for example, having that managerial touch to how they approach things. Right. So would you say that architecture is a skill like any other, or is the ability to understand and apply architecture an emergent property of experience? I have to say that I don't think that experience necessarily means you can do architecture. <laughs> and I do definitely think that architecture is completely a skill that can be learned. And in my opinion, especially like working with the cloud, I think anyone working with the cloud should uh, kind of emphasize their architecture skills. Because there is so many things that are related to each other that we should understand when we're making our decisions. And that is the perfect segue because I didn't have to do it. Uh, so looking at Azure from the outside, I've been at this for 20 odd years. You've been here less than five. Uh, you've, you've seen Azure your entire career. Azure came into being when I was already well-established. And I think we kind of look at it the same way. It's this huge, well, for lack of a better term, huge wall. Um, I've gradually worked my way into it, but I can't fathom how the heck do you get into working with Azure these days? Where do you start? It's this, this insurmountable mountain that you need to get 
over before you can do anything. And that's not really how learning works. What's what's your take on that? No, I have to say when I came in, uh, I didn't hop, even though I've been at this for quite a short while, I didn't hop straight into uh, Azure, I mean, when I got into my first job, for example. That wasn't kind of in the plans right away. Um, I was first looking more at IT infrastructure in general, looking at networks and servers and things like that, kind of the traditional side. Um, Of course, I couldn't go as deep as someone with decades of experience could have gone on those areas. But I have to say, if I had skipped that portion, I would have such a weaker, um, like, what's the word? weaker base for doing anything in Azure. So I I saw, for example, that part I saw like highly important for me to be able to even start looking at Azure because I needed to gain some general understanding of the different aspects that are related to just working with any kind of systems on a network. And the other aspect of how to approach Azure I've because it's so huge, there's no way to kind of get to learn everything right away. I think there has to be kind of a good mix of uh, getting some theory and overview and then just getting into it and very hands on because there's such massive amounts of documentation that if you just keep reading the documentation, you're still not going to know everything. So in my experience, the fastest way to learn these things is just to kind of jump into the deep end and just go for it. But would you say that you prefer going bottom up or or top down? You kind of did the top down thing by starting at the architecture level and not necessarily caring that much about this specific implementation. I think there needs to be some top-down approach. So you have at least kind of a landscape picture of where you're at, but then you can kind of choose points in there where you want to go deeper because then you have places where to attach that information because you have some context around where you're working. So if I had just gone directly into one specific area, then I would have no idea how that fits into with everything else. Then I would have had to kind of start from the center and start building out. So context basically is is key. Yeah, I think it's highly, highly useful. Would you say that the the available training and the prevailing opinions in in the community, if you will, is aligned with this or would you say that we are still too focused on the specific implementation of the technology to the detriment of of the bigger picture? I think there is definitely a kind of more, uh, I'm at loss for English words today. There's more density of training in the implementation side There has definitely been some more movements towards the architecture side, but like if you look at uh, conferences and things like that, I think it is highly focused on technical implementation. 
But I think there has to be a bit of mix of both. And it doesn't necessarily have to be 50-50 even. But I think it we need both aspects of having both the overview and then we can get into the technical details. I happen to know that you're a Microsoft certified trainer as well. Um, and you've taught uh, quite a few of the in the um, mock or the, the official curriculum courses. They are almost without fail geared towards the technical aspects, even though some of them are, are architectural courses, they, they are more into the tech stuff. Would So I'm trying to think the same time as I'm talking, that is always an interesting proposition when I'm involved. But teaching or speaking on concepts rather than specific technical implementations would you say which would you say is the easiest to create a session or a course on and which would you say is the easiest to deliver that's a difficult question um in a way, technical sessions are often quite, it's quite clearly defined. So it's its slightly easier, I guess, but not necessarily. It can also be quite difficult and take a lot of work. Um, architectural sessions, on the other hand, what I have found challenging is that once you kind of take architecture step by step, it gets really simple. And so I've struggled with the thought of, are these architecture sessions interesting enough? Because once you take them step by step, it's like, well, yeah, this is how it goes, of course. It kind of gets really simplified. But then a lot of the times it's quite difficult to find those architectural resources where you can actually find all the aspects. And my experience with the training of the uh certification courses has been that then on the architecture course side, they have often stayed at a too high a level because also the architecture courses, in my opinion, should also kind of put the different technical implementations into perspective and be able to assess those different approaches that we can take. So that's kind of what architecture is to me. It's not just like a mental mindset of how you think about high availability. It's actually understanding what are your options for doing high availability and then how do you choose the best option. That's architecture for me, not just like let's stay at the high level and think about what are the concepts of high availability. Yeah, there, there is something called enterprise architecture, which is kind of derogatory referred to as so lost in the clouds that nobody's going to find you. And yeah, no, that, that's, that's a very interesting point. I want to dwell on that a bit because there is so much technical information. For instance, docs.microsoft.com. There is, everything is there, but everything is geared towards how do you do things? Not necessarily why or when. And you said something interesting when it comes to, um, comparing and deciding and you feel that architecture is the driving force behind the, the decisions to go either way yeah i feel architecture is about understanding the options and being fine being able to find the right options looking at what kind of 
environment are you working in? Because a lot of a lot of times with the architecture questions, we are asking like or answering that well, it depends. And architecture should give an answer to that. Well, it depends. Like, what does it depend on? Well, in this case, you should be going this way. And if the case is this other, then you would go that way. So that's at least what architecture is to me. Just kind of taking all the different really specific technical implementation and being able to see how they fit in different situations. So basically, the architecture has a lot of, of pieces of the puzzle, and it's up to the architect to decide what the puzzle should look like. Yes. Hmm. And that means that the architecture needs a lot of technical understanding as well. Because you need to understand the different implementations and what kind of... Um, what are the consequences of choosing something? And how much of this is realistically possible to to learn or know? Well, everything is learnable. That's not what I'm I'm getting at. Do you feel that you are at a disadvantage with a relative lack of experience, or do you feel that you come in with a another viewpoint compared to the people who has been slogging away for twenty years? I think it's a bit of both. Uh, I kind of happened to come in at quite a good time because I started working with Azure when, yes, there was still the classic portal around. You remember that time? Oh, but yeah. it was kind of going away. So I kind of came in when ARM was really taking hold, the current resource manager model. So pretty much I've, I've seen what the classic model was, but I've been mostly working with the ARM side. So there necessarily wouldn't have been a lot of advantage coming into working with Azure beforehand because a lot of things have changed so dra drastically. And I do think I have a different viewpoint into looking at things. So I, I definitely think that's a pro. <laughs> like I'm going to use it at a, as a pro at least. And of course, I have a bit of I've had at least quite a bit of catching up to do. But I've also found the ways in which I can uh, learn very fast and the ways of learning that work for me. And I do feel like I've been able to catch up quite fast. Well, working with you, I would have to agree with that. Because, yeah, no, that is just... You make the rest of us look bad, but we've had that conversation previously. <laughs> um, and a, a big part of of tree of um, learning for the both of us is uh, I, I introduced you to the the formal name of Richard Feynman uh, method of of, uh, of learning uh, but you've already been using that method since basically forever and that is all about uh, you learn something and you try to teach it and if you can't teach it well then you know where do you to, to go back and, and relearn or add to your your skills and the whole uh, training and speaking part you've not been around in the speaking circuit very long either have you well yeah uh since last august august of 2020 well yeah i did the swedish power bi user group before that but that was my first kind of conference in august right 
And so it was New Stars of Data in, in August where you unleashed on the world your doodling. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> doodling is the best way to understand anything. That's my <laughs> very firm belief. Well, judging from the reactions, basically all over the world, everybody knows Haney as the, the doodler. And so you really made, made your mark on things. But it, it also um, kind of raises the question of everyone has some skill. You might be good at the, the playing the trombone or, or, I don't know, raising cattle. It doesn't really matter. Everyone has something that they, they can do. You had your, your math turned into elliptic curve cryptography that kind of gave you the in into IT. What's your view on, on finding um, cross-pollination, if you will, with previous skills? Yeah, I have to say it's not always easy. And most of the time it happens a bit unconsciously because we might not realize that some kind of skill that we had before uh, applies in a new situation. But for example, for with my teaching background, which was pretty much, we, it was a year full of study in university to get the teaching part of my degree. So I've, I've had a lot of information about how people learn and, you know, how, what is, what are good ways of teaching and for so forth. And really I have, the more and more I go about this, I notice I bring all that skill into everything. And I do not just training, not just speaking, but also just communicating with customers and how I present things, how I talk about the topics that we're discussing at the moment, for example, and then the whole drawing thing as well. Uh, it's just kind of a way I've used, I've been used to work all, all along. So it doesn't feel like I'm taking something with me. It's natural. So it can definitely be challenging. And most of the time I'm like done very unconsciously. But I think if we can also look at our skills very truly and look at what kind of skills we have, then we're able to kind of take those areas and really accelerate what we're doing. And it's just really looking at the skills we have without any filters, without thinking that something is not applicable from the beginning, but instead looking at all the skills and thinking, well, how can I take this to what I'm doing today? Whether it's playing the trombone or <laughs> what other examples you had. <laughs> yeah, and, and the more I think of it, Playing the trombone or raising cattle, that's kind of the, the technical implementation of something else. And this something else could be an analogy to, to architecture. Yeah, exactly. And at the end of the day, it's all about, as you said in the beginning, problem solving. Figuring out where do I put this piece of the puzzle? Or is this piece of the puzzle even part of the same darn puzzle? Exactly. Is it a piece of the puzzle? <laughs> it's the wrong puzzle. Damn it! <laughs> well, some days it it kind of look feels like you're looking at a number of different puzzles. Half of them are will have thirty percent of the pieces missing. One is on on fire, and the last one is in a language you don't understand. Yes, sounds very familiar. Indeed. That, but that's the fun part of it. <laughs> fun part, she says. So, my 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 final 
thought process here and my, my final um, direction. You started very recently working for a new company, Polar Squad, mm -hmm. and you decided once again to kind of switch because you've been very firmly established in, in architecture and especially infrastructure architecture and data architecture. But now you're taking a, I don't quite know, you're not taking a step forward, not backward, kind of a diagonal step because you're going into DevOps, which is the, the um, amalgamation of both development and, and operations. Could you talk a bit about stepping into DevOps shoes and how do you see your your skill set? What what do you need to add? What did you already have? And so on. So kind of when I started it, of course, like I've used some DevOps DevOps tools earlier and I've come across Terraform and ARM templates and things like that that kind of relate to DevOps. So I was feeling kind of sure of myself going into that, like, yes, I've got some points that I can touch here. But then kind of when you get into the full DevOps world where there's a lot of discussion also from the software side, from the development side, then it's like a whole new language hitting your face again and you're just thinking, I don't understand any any of this. But, you know, it's it's kind of with this one this time, I do have the benefit that the whole Azure side that I still know just as I knew it the day before I switched jobs. It's still the same knowledge and I can take that all over to this next diagonal step. But then also there is a lot of aspects from how does this whole architecture and implementing the architecture and then the development world, how do they fit together? And what are the tools used there? And what are kind of the phases to get from the code to the infrastructure, for example, or also helping the developers get their product onto the platform of choice. So how, how do you go from the architect to a DevOps consultant? Um, I, I, I don't even know where to start. I mean, I, I can't code if my life depends on it. Um, I think you're somewhat better than I am on, on coding, but it, it, I, infrastructure as code is such a, a um, I'm trying to find the word, ephemeral thing. It's so hard to grasp. Yeah, it's, well, I, I think I said, commented about that anyone who works in the cloud should know a bit of architecture. But then the more I get into the DevOps world, I'm thinking also that everyone who works in the cloud needs to know more about development, kind of the processes as well. And I think it all comes down to the fact that as we're working in the cloud, the roles of the architect and the operations guy and the DevOps de developer person and all that, they just start to get closer and closer where we kind of get to this DevOps state, in my opinion. Um, it's kind of how it has been going is just taking again one piece at a time. And actually for me, it has been first about figuring out the processes and then figuring out the most used tools like version control and 
And then there's, of course, different tools for sharing that version control and all that. And then there are the tools that you use to get your infrastructure as code into the actual platform and environment that you're setting up. And you started with the process, you said, and then when you understood the process, then you looked at the the technology or the tools needed in order to to support the process. Not unlike how you kind of went into IT in general. No, no, it it worked well. So, so you you're a, a connect the dots first kind of girl. Yes, it helps me kind of once I have kind of some landmarks, then I can all the new information kind of just starts to tie into those points that I already know. So it makes it much faster for me to be able to learn anything new when I just put out some landmarks first and then just everything starts to connect to those. And then over time, there starts to be kind of more landmarks as well as kind of new information is gathered. Um, As a teacher, are you uh, familiar with the concept of lies to children? Lies? Like lying? Yes. No, I'm not sure what you mean. Um, so um, I'm going to take an example from physics. So when we're uh, trying to explain, or chemistry, depending on who you're asking, when you're trying to explain the atom, we tend to draw the the uh, the core as a circle in the middle, and then you have the electrons in their electron shells, like circles, concentric circles. That is what's known as a lie to children, because that is not the way it actually looks under a... a electron microscope um, but that's that's more of the, the the concept than the actual implementation how and what I'm getting at is when you have your your landscape how often do you find that you need to knock down a structure and create a new structure because what you learned was not the entire truth as opposed to adding to your landscape that does it make sense? Yes, I understand the question, but I'm not at all sure that I can answer it. It's really hard to assess how often one or the other happens. But let's just say there's some of both. <laughs> some of both. Yeah. Sometimes it's completely like, oh my, I thought I understood this, but no, it's definitely not this way. And then you just knock down something completely. <laughs> And in comes the Dunning-Kruger effect. So as the the final wrap-up, what would you say to someone who is eyeing IT as as a a workplace or a career, and specifically the cloud or or Azure, um, and this person has no background in IT, where on earth would they get started? I would recommend not to go directly to the cloud, (laughs) as I said. Figure out a little bit about networking. Figure out a little bit about virtual machines. Figure out a bit about how storage works. Um, Figure a little bit out about authentication. It doesn't have to be deep or much, but just kind of get the terrain familiar. Figure out how all those concepts and ideas fit together. And then just start from a part of Azure that interests you, whether it's the networking side or whether it's a data platform service 
like a specific one like Azure SQL or whether it's the whole data platform site, just start somewhere that you find curiosity. Because I think the cur- if you can kind of keep that curiosity alive, then you'll find new places to go to with your learning and be able to uh, progress. I think that's a top tip right there. Don't try to force something into your head that you're not interested in. Yeah, exactly. And from my, I've, I've always been one to kind of want to plan ahead and want to know the plan before I I execute. So I have noticed that the ways that our learning sometimes take might not be entirely kind of logical and they don't actually have to be because you will be taken around back to the, all the topics eventually, but just by, if you just kind of follow that curiosity and excitement, then you'll keep moving and kind of get intrigued more and more instead of getting fed up and tired over the constant learning and everything is always changing and so forth. So I think that's kind of my piece of advice. Yeah, and the whole uh, constantly changing, we are drinking from a fire hose, literally. And the faster you accept that's the case, and that 95% is going to dribble outside of the mouth. Yeah. It's just deal with it. Grab a pair of nice sunglasses and put them on and deal with it. Exactly. Yeah, there's no need to know the details about everything. It's just not going to (laughs) happen. No. So the trick is to figure out what, what do you need to learn and what can you look up? Exactly. That's a very good point. Thank you so much for coming on. This has been a super interesting 35 minutes. Time flies when when you talk. Yes, it is. It was very fun. And uh, I'm sure we'll speak again sooner rather than later. Yes, I hope so. Have a good one. You too. Thank you for listening to this episode. Knee Deep in Tech is a bi-weekly technology podcast hosted by Alexander Arvidsson, Simon Binder, and Tony Holopainen. If you have any feedback, questions, or would like to be part of an episode, please reach out to us on social media or via email at podcast at kneedeepintech.com.